Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome to week three of First Disciple, where we're looking at the life of the Apostle Peter. And uh, last week, we looked at this story where Jesus uh, told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and then Peter wound up denying Jesus. And uh, uh, Peter experienced a very traumatic uh, uh, moment in his life. In fact, last week's message was a cliffhanger. We ended with uh, uh, Peter denying Jesus and asked the question, well, what's next? And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today, the next part of the story. And so we're going to be looking at uh, uh, the book of John, chapter 21. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John, chapter 21. We'll be reading there in just a moment. But as Peter was going along in his uh, disciple life, a follower of Jesus, uh, he had this very negative, traumatic uh, difficult experience come along. That difficult experience was Jesus being uh, arrested and put on trial and uh, sent to the cross, and it freaked Peter out. And he started to ask the question and wonder, like you and I do, why isn't God fair? Uh, that's the tough question we talked about last week. Uh, each of us go through difficult times in our life, challenges in our life, and moments in our lives where we ask that question God, why aren't you fair? Uh, why do bad things happen? And it's okay for us to ask that question. There is no problem that uh, uh, God has with us asking the question why and having doubts. In fact, we talked about it last week. In, in, uh, it is in doubts where faith is born. You can't have faith without having doubts. And uh, it's okay for us to doubt and to question. Uh, in, in fact, we had an a, a illustration that we looked at last week, but let's put it up here on the screen and, and look at it again once again this week. Uh, we called it the sinkhole, uh, where you're traveling along in life, things seem to be going great, and um, uh, then a negative experience happens, something that we call a crisis of faith, and uh, it, the ground beneath us seems to fall out, and we fall into this hole, and we're stuck down here in this pit wondering, God, why didn't you stop this terrible thing from happening happening in my life. Uh, for Peter, um, in his journey, he was uh, a, a, a fisherman and had a, a pretty solid career, knew what he was doing. And uh, one night, he and his uh, friends who were fishing had a, uh, a really bad experience fishing. Uh, they didn't catch any fish all night long. Now, if you're a professional fisherman and you don't catch anything all night long, that makes for a pretty bad paycheck the next time around, right? Uh, if you're in sales and you ever have a dry season where um, uh, uh, you don't have any sales for a week, your next paycheck is going to look pretty awful, isn't it, right? And uh, it, you start to have questions and doubts about, am I really cut out for this? Um, and so Peter and his friends who were fishermen for a living had a really bad night fishing. They didn't catch anything. And along comes this guy walking on the shore who, unbeknownst to Peter, his background is carpenter, uh, not fishing. But here's this carpenter who says, hey, have you guys tried throwing the net on the other side of the boat? Now, if you're good at something and you have somebody with no skills whatsoever start giving you tips, uh, what, how do you usually feel about that? 
uh, okay, thanks for the advice. You know, you might wave nicely. It's like, yeah, what, whatever. Um, and uh, uh, so here's this Jesus guy that they don't even know his name. Uh, he's on the shore, and he's saying, uh, throw the, the net on the other side of the boat. And for some reason, uh, I believe it was the, uh, uh, the preordained will of God that they followed the directions of this stranger, uh, and they grabbed the nets, and they went to the other side of the boat, threw them over, and all of a sudden, the net was so full of fish that they couldn't even pull it into the boat, and as they were trying to pull it into the boat, it started to tear the nets. And so these guys, who were already good fishermen, suddenly following the advice of a nobody, or somebody that they thought was a nobody, um, they became probably the best fishermen that ever existed, just like that. And uh, if it was today, they probably all would have started blogs and uh, become experts online about how to catch fish and started their YouTube channels. Uh, and, um, you know, here's the best advice we can give you. Some stranger comes along and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Do it, man, because we did that, and look what happened. And uh, they would have started going on tour to conferences and speaking about how to catch boatloads of fish and that sort of thing. But this is what happened to them, okay? And um, then Jesus said the words to these guys, follow me. And so Peter and all of his buddies there in the boat with him, uh, they left everything and they followed Jesus. They gave up their career fishing. Instead of going on the tour circuit, talking about what great fishermen they were, they left that all behind and started following Jesus and chose to be his disciples. And so that was this moment here. And uh, they, this was the beginning of his journey as the, a disciple, this first spot. And he starts going along and seeing Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And amazing things were happening. He saw uh, crippled people who had never had the ability to walk, get up and walk. He saw blind people who could never see, uh, open their eyes and see. He saw dead people raised to life. He saw Jesus take a happy meal and break it up and feed 5,000 people with it. All right, uh, these guys saw Jesus do amazing, amazing things, and it just kept getting better and better and better and better and better until he reaches this pinnacle of how awesome everything is, and he's like, Jesus, I am with you no matter what. I will even die for you. And then Jesus throws out this weird thing to him, no, you die for me? You're going to deny that you even knew me. You think that you're all in, Peter. But there's going to be a trial coming up that's going to make you doubt everything and question everything. And sure enough, it happened. Jesus gets arrested, put on trial, and it's a kangaroo court. It's all false. It's, it's all made up. They're just trumping up charges, trying to get Jesus in trouble because the religious establishment hated him because he was challenging everything that uh, they stood for and challenging all of their power. And uh, they wanted Jesus dead. And now Peter has, has seen crowds and crowds and crowds, thousands of people following Jesus and singing in his praises and, and uh, uh, all of these amazing things happening. But when Jesus gets arrested, Peter starts to question and doubt, and he plummets down here into the sinkhole. We've all been there. You know what a sinkhole is, right? You're driving along on a paved road and everything looks great. But what you don't know is that beneath the pavement, the soil has eroded and water has washed uh, a, a hole out from under the pavement. And so when the weight of your vehicle hits that spot in the pavement, even though it looks solid and it looks great, 
the weight of the vehicle makes it cave in. And some sinkholes can be big enough to swallow whole cars. In our, our own lives, we experience sinkholes all the time. These negative things where you're cruising along and everything seems wonderful, but then you get a pink slip. Suddenly you've lost your job. You're cruising along and things look good, but someone breaks your heart and a relationship is severed. Things look good. You're cruising along and you've been following a particular leader, somebody that you put your trust in, and then they did something bad that caused you to lose trust and question everything. You're going along and things seem to be fine, but you get a diagnosis or a friend or a family member gets a diagnosis from the doctor that makes you question everything. Some horrible event comes into your life that you didn't expect, you didn't see coming, you feel like you're losing everything. What do you do when you're in the sinkhole? What do you do during that time of your life? What happens to us when we're here? is we get stuck between hope, which is up here, down the road, I hope it gets better, and despair, which is what keeps us down here. We get stuck between hope and despair. Now, I'll never forget a sinkhole experience in my life. My uh, um, uh, 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 youth pastor at a previous church was uh, with me in our church parking lot. We had been outside shooting a video and uh, we were carrying an iPad. It was a brand new iPad. iPad iPads were pretty new at the time. And um, uh, we were walking back into the building, and he was carrying the iPad. Now, if you've ever seen anybody walking with an iPad, what do they look like? Like this. Not a great uh, posture for walking, right? When you're carrying a big thing right in front of your face. But George was carrying this iPad as we're walking towards the building, and I noticed a sinkhole in our parking lot that had sunk, all right? It was now a pothole. There was a, a hole in the parking lot. I noticed it and walked to one side of it. George, on the other hand, just kept going. And like an idiot, I didn't think to warn him, right? Because I knew he was looking at the iPad. I should have said, hey, watch out for the hole. But I didn't. I don't know if maybe subliminally I'm just evil and wanted to see what would happen. Um, uh, or, or what, but uh, anyway, George's foot hits that pothole, and he stumbles and falls, and if you ever have one of those experiences where, you know, everything suddenly slows down, like it's in the matrix, bullet time, you know, and, and everything's in slow motion, and uh, immediately, the first thing out of my mouth was, no, the iPad, right, because I had my priorities in order, George could heal, the iPad can't, uh, and um, <clears throat> so I'm worried about the iPad, and George does this amazing thing where he, he suddenly tucks the iPad to his chest, and he ducks and rolls like a ninja, and he lands on his back and flips and then pops right back up on his feet, and he's totally uh, un unscathed, you know, maybe a little bit of road rash from the, um, from the pavement, and he says, the iPad's okay, because he also had his priorities in order. Uh, and uh, uh, life is like that. You're going along, maybe you're distracted, maybe you're not, but something hits you, and you fall. What do you do? What do you do? Well, Peter, last week, we talked about that whole experience that led him to collapsing and falling into this sinkhole 
what happens next. John chapter 21, let's read here. John chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Now, let's just pause right there. We're going to find out later in the text. This is the third time that Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. Jesus has been killed now, and um, he has raised from the dead, and he has appeared to the disciples already in physical form. They've seen him. There have been eyewitnesses to the resurrection, which is the most important Um, uh, factor for those of us as Christians. If the resurrection is not true, then nothing we believe is true. Uh, Everything that we believe rests on this one moment in history where a dead man, uh, God in the flesh, got up from the dead and didn't die again. Uh, He stayed alive. Uh, Never before had that happened. Uh, Never since has that happened. Anybody else who has been raised from the dead by the miracle of God has also died another time, Uh, but uh, not Jesus. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and continues to live to this day and to reign in heaven as God. And uh, everything hinges on the resurrection. And the disciples saw this. They saw Jesus alive, and they knew he was alive, but they were still in the sinkhole. And here's what happens. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sound familiar? What happens to us, we talked about last week, when we're in the sinkhole is we have this temptation to many times go back. When things fall out from under us, we think, well, I'm, instead of moving forward, I'll just go back to something that's familiar. I'm going to give up on trying to push through this, and I'm just going to revert. And so initially what we see, even though Peter has already seen Jesus in the flesh, even though he's already seen Jesus in the flesh, he's still in the sinkhole. He's still having his doubts. Probably self-doubt because he failed. He blew it. He denied Jesus. And he's probably wondering, am I really cut out for this disciple thing? Maybe I ought to go back to fishing. And many of the other disciples were with him. All right, let's go try this fishing thing. So they tried fishing all night long and they caught nothing. Now, why fishing? Because it was familiar to, peop- to Peter. It was something he knew, something he was already good at. And instead of dealing with his frustration, instead of moving on in hope, the temptation is there to say, forget it, I'm just going to go back. A lot of people, when they become Christians, Everything seems to be going great. They seem to be traveling down this road of Christian very, very well. And God is showing up and doing wonderful things in their lives. And then some negative event happens in their life. They hit their first sinkhole as a Christian. And many times, many times, this is tragic. They say, forget it. This God thing isn't working out. He let something bad happen to me, so I'm done. Many times it it comes not with the first sinkhole, but maybe the tenth sinkhole. Well, God's let 10 bad things happen to me, or many bad things, or this is the worst thing I I could possibly imagine. I'm done. Forget about it. I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. 
We all face that same kind of temptation instead of moving forward to just try to rewind time and go back. And that's what Peter is doing here. Now, in John chapter 21, verses 4 through 8, let's read. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Now, Scripture doesn't say why. Maybe the morning sun was rising right behind him and the light was in their eyes. They really couldn't see who he was. Or maybe uh, he was on the opposite side of the, the horizon, away from the sun. We're not really sure. And um, maybe the, 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 they uh, just... He was in shadows, they couldn't see who he was, whatever. Their view was, dis- was uh, distorted, they couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net out on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Sound familiar? So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, who's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed for shore. The others stayed on the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Now, it just what an interesting um, uh, set of events, all right? Uh, Peter and the disciples hear this familiar thing, throw your net on the other side of the boat and give it a shot. And so they do it, and this miracle happens again. A rerun of the previous of the same miracle. This thing has happened before when they first followed Jesus, and now it's happening again. Here's this rerun, and uh, they're, they're getting to experience it all over again. The net is so full they can hardly even move it. Move it. They can't pull it into the boat. And uh, Peter initially is in such a stupor in the sinkhole that he misses that that's Jesus. All right, he's been following Jesus for three years. He's been listening and hanging on every word that Jesus says. He would recognize Jesus' voice. But when Jesus says, hey, fellows, have you caught any fish? He didn't recognize Jesus' voice. He didn't recognize that it was the Lord until somebody else did and said, hey, Peter, that was the Lord. And then all of a sudden, Peter wakes up from his stupor. And when he realizes this is Jesus, and he realizes Jesus is replaying one of his greatest hits, Peter decides, I hope Jesus will replay another one of his greatest hits right now. I'm going to try and walk on water. Now, the scripture doesn't say that he thinks that, but I really believe that that's what he thought. Because scripture says he put his tunic on. Who puts their tunic on to go swimming? Nobody. He's already ready for swimming. He's stripped down to his underwear, all right? And... uh, If he was going to try and swim to shore, he would have just jumped and started swimming right away. But Peter had experienced, we talked about this last week, he was the only one of the disciples when Jesus was walking on water to have the guts to try to walk on water too. He saw Jesus walking on water and he got out of the boat and tried to walk on water as well. And in fact, his faith was so strong that at the beginning, he did walk on water. He took a few steps and then he realized, I'm on water. This is not normal behavior. Um, And it kind of freaked him out, and the waves made him nervous, and he lost faith and sank. But he was the only one of the disciples who had enough faith to step out of the boat. And here he is, putting on his coat, buttoning it up, tying whatever he did to get ready, and steps out, hoping Jesus is going to replay yet another one of his greatest hits. I think that's what Peter was thinking. Now, he sank, Jesus was for whatever reason, not going to replay another one of his greatest hits. Um, and, uh, but it didn't let him, it didn't stop Peter. He kept swimming, and he got to shore. 
And he was super excited. Let's look at uh, 21 verses 9 through 11 now. John 21, 9 through 11. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon went aboard and dragged what? What did he drag? The net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Two things to note here. Peter grabbed this net and pulled it ashore. Now, what happened when Peter left the boat? The other guys tried to pull it onto the boat, and what happened? They couldn't do it. It was too heavy. Peter was so pumped, so full of adrenaline, so excited, uh, so, so, so dis- disengaged with reality at that point. He was just focusing on nothing but Jesus, that when Jesus said, go get some fish, he didn't go get some fish. He did what the other disciples altogether couldn't do, and he grabbed the whole net and dragged it up on shore. I mean, this guy was full of adrenaline, very excited about seeing Jesus. Have you ever been there in the middle of a sinkhole and had just a flicker of hope? And it made you think, maybe I can pull out of this. Maybe I can get through this. Sometimes all it takes is a flicker of hope. Sometimes that's all we need to be able to take that next step of faith, get out of the boat, and move forward. Sometimes all it takes to get us from despair to focusing on hope is just one little nugget. Peter saw Jesus, knew it was Jesus, and suddenly he had strength that he didn't have before. Now, the second thing to note here in what we just read, the net didn't tear. The first time Jesus performed this miracle, the net tore. And this time, the net didn't. I believe that's because Jesus was saying, you thought you'd seen it all before, but you ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. Jesus knew there are greater things still. He told the disciples, you've seen the miracles that I've performed, but you are going to do greater things than these. Guys, the best is yet to come. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do bigger and greater things than you could ask, think, or imagine. Things that you can't even possibly dream of, I'm going to do through you. And he was sending that message to them. The message is still the same. You're going to do great things through me. Keep being my followers. Let's look now again at verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since, they'd been, since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, 
a couple of things that we need to think about when we're reading this passage. Uh, first of all, you, you, you may have heard this before if you've been in the church any length of time and you've heard a sermon preached on this passage, you may have um, already heard that uh, uh, people have made this correlation for thousands of years that uh, for each denial, Jesus gave him the opportunity to kind of prove himself. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And so for each of the three denials, there was this opportunity for repentance, this opportunity for coming clean and for saying, yes, Jesus, I'm still with you. Uh, isn't that great to note that for every time we fail, Jesus is willing to forgive no matter what? No matter what we've done, no matter how bad it is, a lot of people feel like I'm too unworthy for God. I've done too many bad things in my life. God can't forgive me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God loves you, adores you, wants to forgive you, and wants to restore you. Now, the next thing that we need to pay attention to when we're looking at this particular part of the story is the language that is used. Um, uh, here in the Greek language, the language that the Bible is written in, we find a really rich uh, little bit of information here that we don't see, we don't find when we read it in English. Uh, in in uh, this passage, Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And that word love in English is such a watered down, weak word. Now, in English, love is a powerful thing, right? Huey Lewis said it, the power of love, right? Uh, and uh, uh, we, we, we know that love is powerful even in the English language, but we still water it down because uh, some people love Big Macs and they love their children, but does that mean the same thing? Do we love Big Macs the way we love our kids? No, that's, they're totally different things, yet we use the same word. I love the Dallas Cowboys and I love my wife, but I love them differently, right? It's not the same thing. And um, so when we read this in the Greek, we find some different words for love. In fact, when we're looking at the Greek language, there are four words for love. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. The first word uh, in, in Greek for love that we translate love is the word storge. And storge is a natural affection that family members have for one another. Uh, storge is the feeling that you have for your child, for your baby. Uh, how many of you have ever looked at a newborn baby and thought, holy smokes, that's ugly? All right? I mean, we've, we've all thought that at some point. But every one of those babies that looks like an ugly little alien raisin has a mama who thinks that's the most beautiful thing God ever created. Right? That mama has storge for that baby. Storge is that inexplicable familial connection. Storge is that thing that, that, that brothers have. That, you know, one minute the big brother is tormenting his little brother, sticking his face in his armpit and giving him a noogie. And, um, then the next minute when the neighbor kid does it, that same brother who was just tormenting the little brother goes over there and beats the snot out of the neighbor kid, right? For storge, because that's my family. There's a connection there, an emotional connection that we have in family that uh, can be explained in no other way than it's just family, all right? That's storge. The second word um, in, in uh, Greek for love that we translate love is the word eros. 
And eros is a passionate, sensual desire and longing. All right? When somebody experiences love at first sight, uh, that's eros. It's a holy smokes, that person turns me on. Uh, I get excited when I see him. I feel things stirring in body parts that I don't normally feel things stirring in. Um, You get excited uh, on your honeymoon. It's all about eros. In fact, the word erotic comes from the Greek word eros. uh, And it's it's the man that really turns me on kind of love, all right? Uh, Then the the third kind of uh, love that we, third word that we translate love into English is phileo. And phileo is a friendly, brotherly love. This is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia apparently is the city of brotherly love. Unless you're like me, you like the Dallas Cowboys, then everybody there hates your guts. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, a brotherly kind of love, it's, it's a friendship love. It's a camaraderie kind of love, a connection that you feel with somebody. Have you ever uh, experienced that with someone? You, you meet them and you just connect, right? There's no other way to explain it. That's phileo. You have this connection, just this feeling of closeness with this person. And um, all three of these words that we're talking about right now, storge, eros, and phileo, they are all connected to emotions. They are all connected to feelings. They're all based on emotion, how you feel. The fourth word that we translate love is not based on any kind of feeling. It's the word agape. The word agape means unconditional sacrificial love. Agape is a decision. It is agape that keeps you from killing your children when you don't feel storge. It's agape that keeps you married when you no longer feel eros. It's agape that allows your friendship to get through difficult seasons when you're not feeling phileo towards one another. Agape is the choice. When I don't feel loving, I will love. Now, Jesus uses the word agape when he asks Peter, do you love me? He's not asking Peter, how do you feel about me, Peter? He's saying, have you made the conscious decision to stick with me even when things are hard, Peter? Do you agape me? And Peter's response, don't miss this, is, yes, Lord, I phileo you. He doesn't use the same word. He doesn't say, my response is, Jesus, I'm with you no matter what. Now, his response to Jesus just a few days before was, I'm with you no matter what, Jesus. I'll even die for you. But after denying Jesus and experiencing these moments of doubt, now he's experiencing self-doubt. I don't know if I really agape you, Jesus. But you know I phileo you. It might better be translated this way into English. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I'm your brother. It's not him saying, I don't agape you, 
but it's a soft answer. He's not quite saying, I'm there. Now, this speaks volumes about the forgiveness and the love and the grace of God. Jesus is asking me, Peter, are you all in? And Peter's response might indicate, I'm 60%, 80% there. And Jesus doesn't chastise him for that. Jesus doesn't go, dude, do you need a vocabulary lesson? We're not even talking about the same thing. Phileo, agape, or have you been to second grade, Peter? He doesn't talk down to him. Jesus takes him where he is, even though his faith is weak. And to Jesus, that's enough. You might be coming to him at times, saying, I love you, Lord, but... But sometimes I doubt whether or not you even like me. You ever felt like that where you believe God loves you but you're not sure he likes you? So this crud just keeps happening. That partial expression of love. I'm there, Lord, but there's still some junk in the way. That's okay. And that's enough. Jesus isn't going to be like, you're not all in, then you're all out. He says, I'll take you where you are. One of the reasons our church has these canvases up in our lobby is to express who we are as a church. One of the canvases that we have hanging in our lobby says, we believe that Jesus takes us as we are but loves us too much to leave us that way. Isn't that good? That Jesus loves Peter just the way he is, but loves him too much to leave him that way. And so Jesus keeps saying to Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, care for my sheep. Jesus is saying to Peter in that moment, I have a new career for you. You've been looking back at fishing, but I don't want you to look back. I want you to move forward. I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to lead those who follow me. I want you to care for those who follow me. I want you to make more disciples. Jesus is saying, you're in the sinkhole, but the real solution to getting over this is not going back, it's going forward. I've got a calling for you. Move forward. Come on. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. There's something new. If you're in the sinkhole, Jesus is saying to you right now, There's something on the other side of this that is above and beyond where you are now. And I'm using this awful thing for good. And I'm calling you to what's next. I'm not calling you to what came before. I'm calling you to what's next. Jesus says to him in John 21, 18 through 19, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death 
he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, what did he say? Follow me. Jesus bookended Peter's experience as a disciple here with the words, follow me. First time he met Peter, he said, follow me. I'll change your career. You're a fisherman, I'll make you a fisher of men. And then the last time here that he's speaking in a personal one-on-one conversation with Peter, he says to him, follow me. His message was still the same. When you're in the sinkhole, Jesus' message to you is the same that it was yesterday. It's still, follow me. Now Jesus said to Peter this weird thing about getting dressed and other people are going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And it was, he said this to indicate the way that Peter would die to glorify God. Now we don't find in the Bible the story about Peter's death. We find it in church history. And um, what we learn is that when the Apostle Peter was killed, he was martyred as a follower of Jesus, he was going to be crucified. And he said, I don't deserve to die in the same manner that my Lord died in. And so crucify me. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. And they did. The Romans crucified Peter upside down. And he died in a way that brought glory and honor to Jesus. He fulfilled this prophecy. People took him where he didn't want to go. And it did indeed glorify God. Now that's way after the sinkhole. It wasn't the next day. It wasn't that afternoon. It was way after. Jesus was painting a picture for Peter here. I've got big plans for you, man. When you're in the sinkhole, the Lord is speaking to you. And he's saying, this horrible, tragic thing in your life, it's painful, and it's awful, and it's real, and it causes doubt, and it causes pain and suffering, and I get it. But I have big plans for you through this. I have big plans for you through this. The best is yet to come. Now, this brings us to a question for us today. What do we do when we're in the sinkhole? This is great that Peter had this experience, but what about me? If you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. I'm going to fly through them as quickly as I can, and then we'll be wrapping up. Number one, what you do when you're in the sinkhole, you remember what Jesus did in the past. Peter remembered his memory was jogged jesus worked this great miracle in the past he's going to work great miracles in the future jesus did great things before there are greater things still to come the net didn't tear this time it's going to get better and better and better now maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you're just kicking the tires of christianity and you're not a christian and you're just checking this thing out And you're in a sinkhole right now, and life hurts, and it's painful, and you're like, well, I don't even know what Jesus did in the past. That's all right. You can use other people's testimony. You can ask them, what has Jesus done that's good in your past? 
everybody who's a follower of Jesus has stories about God's goodness. Ask them. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible is full of testimony about the great things that Jesus has done. Look at what Jesus has done in the past and remember it. It may not be your past, but it can be somebody else's past, and that can still be a powerful reminder for you. Look at what Jesus has done in the past. Number two, ultimately trust that Jesus, uh, trust Jesus to do even more. God can be trusted to deliver in your future because he has proven himself in your past. He can be trusted to deliver in your future because he's proven himself in your past. Jesus will do even more than he's done before if you will trust him. Number three, what do you do when you're in the sinkhole? Decide to love Jesus. Make the decision to love him. We've talked about questions over the last three weeks. The first week was the, the most important question you will ever answer, and that question was, who is Jesus? Week two of this series was the toughest question you'll ever ask, and that's why isn't God fair? But today, Jesus is asking you a question, and he wants to know your answer, and he's asking, do you love me? Do you agape me? How you answer Jesus' question, do you love me, reveals what's truly in your heart. And what is in your heart will determine whether or not you make it out of this sinkhole. Or whether or not you just reverse, revert back to the past. Get stuck. It's going to be a decision. Peter was faltering because his answer had been based on emotion. I phileo you. But Jesus wasn't asking, how do you feel? When you're in the sinkhole, how do you feel? Crappy. But Jesus is still saying, do you agape me? Will you decide to follow me nonetheless? Your faith will always falter when it's based on emotion rather than decision. If you try to follow Jesus based on how you feel, your faith will be broken and it will be a disaster. Don't follow him based on how you feel. Follow him because he is Lord and he is worthy of it and because you've made the decision to follow him no matter what. And then fourth, keep following Jesus. Your journey of faith started with follow me. And your journey of faith will continue with follow me. Every time you experience a sinkhole, what's going to get you through it? Follow me. I want to show you one more illustration real quick that uh, is like the one before. Before, we just had one illustration of one sinkhole. But life is really like this. If you're committed to follow Jesus no matter what, your, your sinkholes will look like this. You're going to have peaks and valleys, moments in your spiritual life where there are spiritual highs and things are exciting and things are great and it feels good to follow Jesus. And then you're going to have those spiritual lows, these low points where it, it hurts to follow Jesus and things are painful and things are difficult. But if follow me is really the attitude of your life, if I have, you have decided to agape Jesus, to always love him, period, then you will see this kind of trend line in your life that continues to move upward. This is what we call spiritual growth. 
There are people who will stagnate and stay flat. There are people who would decline. And the difference between those groups of people is simply this. The people who continue to grow, who continue to move forward, and to continue to move onward and upward are those who say, I agape Jesus. I will love him no matter what. I will follow him no matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter what darkness comes into my life. I will not give up. I will follow him. Your journey of faith started with follow me. And what's going to get you through every one of these low points is follow me. He can be trusted. So what happens next? In Peter's story, what happens next? Well, today's message is a cliffhanger again. We're going to talk about that next week. And we'll pick up on Peter's life after this calling to feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, tend my sheep, love my sheep. But until then, you have some homework. Here's your homework. It's in your bulletin notes right there. Make a list of at least three amazing things Jesus has done in the past. Again, if you don't have amazing things in your own life that you've seen Jesus do, ask other people. What are some great things that Jesus has done? And use their faith to help bolster your faith. Second thing, remind yourself every day that he has even better plans for your future. Remind yourself that the best is yet to come. Number three, daily choose to love Jesus and commit yourself to follow him. Following Jesus is not a one-time thing. Jesus says you will take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day you have to make that decision again. All right, Lord, I'm still in. It's hard right now, but I'm still in. And then I want you to pray this prayer every day this week. God, you've done amazing things in the past. Help me to remember your future promises are trustworthy because you've delivered so much in the past. I want to love you and follow you, but sometimes I'm weak. Help me when I'm weak. That's your homework assignment for this week. But until then, let's go ahead and pray together. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.